0: So, Eli. Yes, Jeff. Sitting here wondering, you know, (laughs) there's a lot of people talking about summing. Uh Uh-huh. And I'm thinking, how does that actually even work?
1: Yeah, when you're combining two signals or multiple signals. Like, say, 32 channels. uh, Say, 32 channels. You've got a lot of math going on in a computer. But what what happens in in the analog realm? And gosh, who could we talk to? Why don't we call our friend Dave Amels from Animod
0: and Voce. Input. Output. Input.
2: Output. Input. Output. 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 Here I am.
1: Uh, all right.
0: <laughs> doodly, doodly, doodly.
1: There's all this argument that constantly goes on about in the box versus out of the box mixing, and so I realized when I started to talk to Jeff
0: about you're it, you're an ignorant amateur, <laughs> man.
1: <laughs> hey, I know embarrassingly little about the actual science. Is there any way you can explain really what's going on, math wise, physics wise, electronics wise?
2: Sure. Yeah. I mean, I don't think uh, I, th- <laughs> I don't think you're in the minority. I don't think most people. Realize what's going on. Basically, when you're summing in the analog world, you're actually getting more bits of resolution because you're using individual D to A converters. Every time you double the number of D to A converters, you add a bit of resolution. Now, granted, those bits are down in the analog noise floor because you're now working in the analog domain where maybe the noise floor is minus 80. 90 dB below full scale. So yeah, in effect, you are getting additional bits of resolution, whereas if you mix in the box, those bits are basically getting thrown away because you only have the resolution of whatever you're using for the output side of things. While they're just added together and basically scaled so they'll fit in the uh, whatever your output DDA is, 24 bits, Say you had two channels summed together, you would have 25 bits if you were summing two 24-bit converters. If you had four channels, you'd have 26 bits.
0: Wait a minute. I don't actually understand what you just said.
2: Okay. Well, <laughs> when you sum digitally, right, you take all of the numbers, add them up. It's it's very simple math, actually. The only thing that you have to do is decide where do you want to set your operating level, so to speak, to use an analog term, uh, for your digital mix bus. And what that will determine is where that point is where you're throwing away bits on the bottom end. Because if you sum two, say, 16-bit numbers, you get a 17-bit number. You'd have to throw away that LSB when you output it to the D to A. And by LSB you mean? The least significant bit. Least
0: sucky beat. Yeah. <laughs> um, isn't twenty four bit equal to something like sixteen million two hundred? I, I looked it up the other day. It's a very very large number. It's a big number, so, but it's
2: easier to think of in in dB because it's six bits per. I mean, it's six dB per bit, so six times twenty four. You have a hundred forty four dB dynamic range. Now the noise floor, the re, uh, due to noise resistance, is probably. <laughs> it's <laughs> probably above that. So some of those bits uh, we might not ever hear.
0: Right, there's just a little too much noise like as in the Skype connection. It's just a little noisy. Yeah, but even without um, any
2: but- electronics, there's noise d- that's just due to the characteristic impedance. And that's thermal noise, which is which is there in a passive mixer. And when you add electronics, you just you add more noise. But an important concept to understand that there's a basic noise floor that's just due to physics and not due to any particular electronics other than the impedance of, say, a mix bus.
0: Oh, that's interesting.
2: In an analog
0: world, on a Neve console or an SSL, like any kind of big, large-format console, each channel sums—it's not done passively? I always thought it was for some reason. Well,
2: yeah, it is, but there's there's two different methods of summing in a console. There's actually three ways. Okay, so you can have— transformers where the secondaries are put in series and so that means you don't have any voltage reduction you don't need any voltage gain but say it's a one-to-one transformer you you have the current that's one way another way is using a current summing junction which is 99% of all consoles use that nowadays and what that is is uh, basically it's a series resistor which you present the input voltage to and then it it goes into a basically a zero impedance node where there's voltage gain, and it brings you back up to that level. And then the third way is the way some of the passive mixers work, and that is you basically just put a resistor in series with all of them, take a, a huge hit in voltage gain, and then you have to make it up on right. the back end. That's, that's what, we, that's
0: what we're, we're used to using now. To simplify this, because even what you just described is pretty much over my pathetic head. <laughs> to simplify it a little bit, each of those methods has a um, measurable byproduct. You go through one of those, you're going to get maybe a brighter sound. Like uh, using the transformer method, that to me sounds like you're going to get a lot of harmonics potentially because of the way that transformers tend to color things. I'm sure that they make much more transparent well, transformers yeah, exactly. than they might have Dep- done once upon Depends a time. Depends on
2: what transformer you're using. The basic idea being that it's
0: going to have some sort of fingerprint as far as the the tonality goes. There's a non-linearity to those systems. The closer you get to peak levels or to the noise floor, you end up with distortions that are based on the components that you're using. Well,
2: where you're going to add distortion is where you have to amplify it again.
1: Right, yeah, because both of us use fulcrums and they're always saying like, oh, and your choice of mic pre is what gives it the color. So as you're trying to regain that voltage, that's where you start. You can introduce some of those non-linearities that give it its flavor, as they
0: call it. But in the digital world, that technology is just because them it's basically just adding numbers there isn't any of that I I guess when you when you get to, to the least significant bit and the really quiet end of things then you start getting distortions from quantization
2: error you're saying when you're summing in the box well hopefully yes when you're when you're doing that summing you're using all of the bits and you're only throwing them away at the very end after they've all been accounted for a lot of people like to add dither to kind of reclaim some of the information in those bits that you've thrown away. And the way that works is it modulates the least significant bit to kind of give you the impression of if those other bits were there. So it's like chorus. Uh, well no not really
1: (laughs) (laughs) not at all actually how does this play into our arguments about you know which one is better it comes down to which one you prefer that that's you know that's kind of a given but when we talk about mixing in the box versus out of the box these three types of analog summing that you're talking about they all introduce artifacts hopefully they're pleasing artifacts but none of them are perfect
2: No, 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 not at all. You know, you always have to deal with noise and distortion in the analog world. So that's, you know, that's a given. It's kind of hard to make an apples-to-apples comparison When in the analog domain, you're going to introduce some kind of coloration, whether it's minimal or not. And then the other basic thing is we're actually not throwing away any of the bits for each of the channels. We're summing them up in the analog world. And although they're way below the noise floor, there's no truncation like what happens in the digital world.
1: Wouldn't that just affect the noise floor, though? Or does that affect the sound or the headroom?
2: Well, I would say with a 24-bit system, you're always going to have a higher noise floor doing analog summing. Even if you have a a passive mixer and the cleanest possible amplification, you're still going to be raising the noise floor than if you were mixing in the box. Right. Right. You know, (laughs) we have to realize that when we were using tape that the noise floor was maybe (laughs) 65 dB down. Yeah, yeah. So... You know, when somebody sees their meters wiggling because a piece of gear that they have plugged into their Pro Tools system is is generating its <laughs> normal noise floor, I, people flip out, but they don't realize it, that that is way better than probably, you know, anything we've ever had in terms of noise floor.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Let's move over to the digital side. Right. When you're summing in the box and you're just doing math, you're not actually, you, you're, you're getting rid of your LSB.
2: That's the only issue. Yeah, so just to sum everything up, (laughs) sum everything up. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't mean to say that. Uh, In the analog (laughs) domain, you're adding some type of coloration, you're increasing the noise floor. In the digital domain, the only artifact that you're dealing with is what to do with those LSBs that you're going to not be able to output. Um, You know, and whether you address that with dithering or you just truncate them. I guess that's a whole separate discussion about listening.
1: And But some people swear that the Pro Tools Mixbus sounds better than the Logic, and some people like Logic Mixbus thinks it sounds better, but aren't they all just doing math? Why, why yeah. would they sound different?
2: Well, well, exactly. I mean, and how are they doing their comparison to tell? I once did a comparison between Pro Tools
0: 9 and Logic, where I had the exact same files playing back, that had been recorded into Pro Tools and then opened the same files with the same panning in Logic and had everything at zero, I panned either center, left or right, and it sounded totally different.
2: Really? I mean, I was shocked.
0: Well, yeah, it, yeah. And then, I,
2: and okay, so then somebody's either making a mistake or somebody's doing their math a little differently. But it should just be an addition. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Part of it was the pan laws. I think might have been set differently. Right. Yeah. Um, see, that that's would a big
2: difference. Yeah, that, that would, would really definitely. affect things.
0: And for those of you who don't know what a pan law is, it's the when you go from the center to the sides, it changes the value. I guess on a Good console, mark. there's an electronic value. In the digital world, it's just measured in dBs. Well, yeah.
2: No, there's a, there's an actual curve for analog consoles, and it depends on if your pan pot is a dual pot or a single pot.
0: I think that because we were summing internally this is a couple of years ago so I know that they have different updated versions of both those programs since then but the logic mix bus was clipping and the Pro Tools mix bus was like 2 dBs of headroom probably.
2: Well, okay, that that goes back to what I was saying that how do you scale it in the end? You should have an adjustment really in the digital world that tells how you want to scale the thing to the output so right there that tells you that they're scaling it differently now that shouldn't matter as long as you're not clipping but it seems like they were clipping
0: it it really did surprise me that there would be a difference between such a basic
2: thing you know well if it's if it's clipping it's going to be you're going to have a huge difference yeah
0: yeah
1: (laughs) but even in pro tools you know which i've been using for years and years it seems like the mix bus has gotten better maybe i've just gotten better but wouldn't wouldn't that—that's unlikely. Eli. <laughs> I'm sure I've gotten worse. But wouldn't that point to the math is changing as they do different versions? You know, don't these things affect the sound?
2: Well, yeah, I think what was happening, and I'm—you know, this is from memory—but years ago, they were mixing on one of their DSP chips, which meant that they had to throw away bits along the way rather than just do it at the end. But the ah. right way to yeah the right way to do it is is to don't throw anything away until the end. But if you, you don't have enough resolution, say for summing sixty four channels, you're going to have to uh, you know make a compromise. So
0: my experience of that is actually watching Eli trying to do a mix on uh, at Stratosphere in the box because it had I don't remember it was. The console at Stratosphere was a 32-channel 80 series Neve, so you either had to sum in the console, or if you were doing a, like a really elaborate mix, you were just going to keep it in the box because you knew you were going to have to recall it. And you were like complaining about the stereo field once you got above 40 something tracks of just it collapsing.
1: Yeah, but that was an old version. Yeah, that was right. that was
0: the TDM version from. Probably what Dave's referring to from yeah,
1: I, that's interesting the two
0: thousands or whatever. At some point, I remember at Stratosphere taking a mix that somebody had done stems with and comparing it being summed in the box through going through the Neve with all the faders at zero and you know everything calibrated and and the difference was not very important. It was kind of confusing because we expected to hear oh you're you're going to get you know awesomeness just going through this board and wasn't like that at all. It was fine. It wasn't bad. It just wasn't like demonstrably so much better that it would be worth doing it as an exercise. Yeah,
2: I mean, it could actually be
1: worse. Because of those distortions that you were talking about.
2: Yeah, you you know, and also if you start introducing group delay distortion, which is phase shift, basically, say you're using a Neve versus a a super clean, you know, like a fulcrum, not even EQing, just going through those channels, there introduces a lot of... Group delay distortion. Group, what is that? Group delay distortion? Group delay distortion is the proper technical name for what people call phase shift. When audio people refer to phase shift, they're talking about delaying one group of frequencies more than the other, and that radically changes a mix. Uh, the fulcrum mixer with a very good amplifier on the output, you're not going to see any, it's its not going to change. You're not going to introduce group delay distortion. It's When you're going through a Neve, you're adding a lot of phase shift at the top end, which could be a good thing or could be a bad thing, but it will definitely change the sound. That goes from having a point on the snare drum to basically mushing it out without changing any EQ.
0: Man, oh, I always used to notice that on the Neve. Always. There was a sweet spot, and if you hit it too hard, it just did that thing that you yeah. just described. It was like...
2: A lot of times it could be like throwing a wet blanket over the microphone, which I don't particularly like. <laughs>
0: Mm, you know, if you're going for that not unless you're on fire, sound. then it's kind of a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> Why do they, well, the speed of light is the speed of light, so how can something get delayed?
2: Well, it's stored in the magnetic core of the transformer. You have hysteresis. Ah. You know, uh, if you, anybody knows that loop thing, that, uh, that little drawing that shows the right. magnetic field... Versus the current, you, you know that uh, if you get into that, you, you're introducing a delay, which is not due to a natural delay caused by EQing. EQing as a natural delay, and then there's an all-pass response which is uh, transformers can introduce.
1: When, whenever people talk about in the box versus out of the box, I always say, well, it really depends on what kind of music you're talking about. Because for, for rock music, I definitely like out of the box. But if you get into electronic music or electronic pop music, in the box is actually pretty stellar. I found that phase. to be true,
2: too, actually, that the digital recording for electronic stuff sounds great. As soon as you start bringing it out into the analog world, it's... It, you lose some of that fun stuff you had. Now, with a passive mixer, you don't really have problems with phase shift or low end because they're most likely not even capacitively coupled. But on a Neve, I happen to know you're going through a lot of stuff.
0: Well, so Eli and I were talking about the blind testing the other day, and we both agree that there's a lot of validity to it, but sometimes you don't really learn how something works unless you spend a decent amount of time sort of playing with it.
2: You mean in order to even do a comparison? yeah it's like whenever
0: i get a new piece of
1: gear it takes a good number of sessions to really suss it out like i can play around with it and hear the obvious things but the true character of whatever the microphone or the preamp or the compressor is only if i've used it in a number of situations do i feel like i really understand what it does
2: so a lot of times when i
1: when people talk about blind tests it's like oh here You've got, you know, a half an hour or an hour just to go back and forth. And then if you can't tell the difference within that time, well, then there's no difference.
2: But I don't think that's that's really valid. Yeah. And chances are you are going to hear a difference with what we're talking about. But no, yeah, I, I, I totally understand what you're saying. That's
1: that's a that's a total aside. I, I was yeah. just saying, like it's it's difficult. So how how would you measure these things? You know, I think of you as having a, a deep understanding of how harmonics and distortion can be very useful. Could be
0: forces for good. You
1: know, I, I found it very interesting that Rupert Neve stuff has a silk button that has a amount knob on it, even that you can dial in more. And I have to say that I really like on rock, like a dense rock mix. It sounded great.
2: Yeah, I, I just never thought I'd live to see the console buttons labeled like wine descriptions or something. <laughs>
0: Okay, so we like the electronic music in the digital world because it sort of preserves the full spectrum of frequency, right? We like it has the ultra highs and the ultra lows in a way that analog doesn't always cater to. But with rock and roll, we like the fact that in the analog world, it adds this sort of harmonic density to things that adding numbers numbers doesn't do that.
2: Exactly. I was going to sum it up by saying that um, it's basically... Uh, Sum it up! (laughs) Well, I said it again. It's dependent on the program material.
0: Well, Dave, you get a pass, so we uh, we will come back to you in a year with, <laughs> with another more set questions. of uh, annoying technical questions, possibly sooner. All right, thanks <laughs> Thanks, thanks again. again, Dave. All right, bye-bye now. Okay. Bye. Bye. My head hurts after
1: that discussion. <laughs> <laughs> Mind, there's, a lot yeah. of, there's a lot of Brain math in there. Egg. I'm not sure I quite follow everything that he said, but... But uh, the whole idea, the whole idea was to to try to determine what scientifically is the difference between in the box and out of the box mixing. What kind of differences get introduced via both of those methods?
0: If you're comparing recording something digitally and then mixing it either internally in a DAW or mixing it through an analog setup. It really depends on the analog setup that you're using as to what the ultimate difference is between that and a digital mix. And in the case of a super simple, very clean makeup gain passive setup, it sounds like from what Dave's saying that the difference isn't really that acute.
1: Depending on how you make up that gain.
0: Yeah. Now, if you use a really colored mic pre or go through a bunch of analog gear, it might be quite a bit different. But if you're just doing a real simple, simple passive matrix with uh, the cleanest mic for you can imagine, that would be not so different than a digital summing bus in 64-bit double precision math.
1: I thought it would be the
0: combining that would have a difference. The combining? Is that a new horror movie?
1: Yeah, the combining. It's like The Shining.
0: It's about a bunch of really angry engineers who are sitting around.
1: (laughs) The combine. (laughs) Or farmers in
0: the combine. I don't know.
1: In a world <laughs> where engineers combine,
0: in a uh, world where engineers look back to the '70s as their heyday <laughs> of relevance and pay scale, <laughs> especially pay scale. The, no, because the the, the the thought the thought was about the coloration you get that in our passive setups. Hey, stop doing that. Oh, sorry. The co- <laughs> so, in essence, the coloration that you get from working. Wait, in... hold
1: on, hold on. Okay,
0: I guess the takeaway for me is that if it's not enough coloration, then why just why not keep it in the in the
1: box, right? Exactly. You know, I've ended up in my passive mixer. Now I'm using those Rupert Neve Five Elevens, which have a intentional saturation, a silk knob a button and a knob so you can dial in as much as right. you want. the
0: old wine. <laughs> we'll no rock before it's Yeah, and, and
1: that's, you know, so you can dial it in, and that's exactly what we kind of look for in this analog mixing is we want to get some of that saturation. We want to have this sort of distortion, but in a way that's very pleasing.
0: Well, it's also, I feel like a lot of this conversation as a, as a profession is people from different time periods talking to each other with a little bit Of an imperfect view of the entire um it's very
1: time-based i mean a a lot of this a lot of discussions you know you read on on forums and stuff like that about people saying oh this in the box is terrible you have to mix out of the box and all this stuff but people i think i i wonder how much people are referencing that time period that, that dave was talking about if you're talking about a time period in the early 2000s where the the math wasn't being done as well maybe because of limitations of the processing of computers or what have you but you know you talk to somebody who started engineering in 2011 and they just kind of like look at you like what are you talking about you know because it's not an issue anymore
0: right the issue is now if you want it to have character or coloration how do you get it in a pleasing way not um can it add and subtract correctly and do it in a way that's reasonably accurate to what has gone into it because right. clearly clearly that's no longer the issue. Yeah. Well to sum it up, <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. Anyway, uh, uh thank you very much for listening. I'm Eli Janney. And I'm Jeff Sanoff. And you've been listening to Input Output Podcast. Please drop us an email if you have any questions or comments. It's inputoutputpodcast at gmail.com.
0: Or check out our Facebook page, input output podcast. Or the uh, rarely used I.O. podcast at Twitter handle. Um, <laughs> we should really
1: tweet something just to shock everybody. Anyway, a big thank you very much to SonicScoop for helping us out with this. You can also download our podcast on iTunes, Input Output Podcast, search for it. And a big thank you to Dave
0: Amols, the man. The legend. <laughs> the keyboard player. The ultimate gear designer. <laughs> Thank you Dave. We'll see you next time. Bye. Entree, sortie.
2: Input. Output.